Before I kick off the show, I wanted to share some exciting news about my new website at joshstamper.com, which is officially launched. The site has the Aspire podcast, blog posts, and a whole host of resources for educational leaders. Make sure you sign up for the Aspire newsletter to stay up to date on the latest giveaways, announcements, ideas, and exclusive content by going to joshstamper.com and signing up. I hope you enjoy this week's interview with a fantastic educational leader. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I am so excited to have Rachel Mann on the podcast. Rachel Mann assists educators in applying the principles of effective presentation delivery. She trains educators across the country on how to transform educational leadership and the classroom through these principles and how to transform the lives of students by teaching them how to share their ideas in a TED-style fashion. Rachel is a presenter, blogger, and co-author of The Martian in Your Classroom. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, Josh. I am really excited about chatting with you. As you know, the show is centered on leadership development, and I would love to hear your personal leadership journey and how you went from a high school teacher to the education consultant. That's a great question. I uh, start, I never really saw myself as a leader, and I've had a lot of people in my life who've believed in me and have really given me an opportunity to prove that that I could do what they had set out to, to instill in me. My very first year as a teacher, I had a principal who... She, uh, she gave me grants to write, after-school programs, Saturday programs, and just really had a lot of faith in me. And that was something that meant so much to me. Um, years later, I ran into her at a conference, and we joked some about the, uh, the fact that that was really because I was the only person that wouldn't say no to her. <laughs> so saying yes to opportunities has played a big role, but then also to just having some folks who've, who've been inspirational and who have mentored me. I taught through 2013, and during my last couple of years as a teacher, there were things that I would see that was happening. I would hear teachers complain. I would find myself complaining. And it hit me until I actually start doing something about it. I have no right to complain. So I started my ed leadership degree. And from there, once I had, well, close to finishing that degree, I had the opportunity to move into a leadership role at the Arizona Department of Education, which then led to other roles and has led me to where I'm at now with my work in consulting. So what was one of the most challenging experiences that you had that created the most growth as a leader? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I would say difficult conversations. There have been times where I've had to work to preserve the relationship, but also remembering that ultimately what's best for students is what matters. And sometimes that leads to some really hard conversations, but I think that when you're able to approach it from the stance that you're doing it for the best for that person, the best for education for students, and you've already established a relationship, that, that makes all the difference. At the moment, it still feels really hard, but then afterwards, I've had people come back and thank me for those conversations before. So what was one of the biggest misconceptions as you moved from being a classroom teacher to then teaching teachers? 
I had never heard the term the dark side. And when when someone said to me that I'd moved into the dark side, I didn't know what they were talking about. And I, I had to ask them, what do you mean? And so that was something that for me, somehow or another, I guess, because I was always so involved with my students and my classes, I'd missed conversations about administration and leadership roles being the dark side. So that, so that was something that was that was surprising. Uh, but, but I think, too, that when people see that you're still that same person that cares about education and that it's not a matter of just trying to move up the ladder, that, that makes a difference in that view of it being the dark side. When you can't call the dark side the dark side when it's what's right for kids. Mm-hmm. And so in your experience, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? I would say public speaking. I, that, that's something that I was absolutely terrified of in high school. And in order to lead, you have to be able to communicate your ideas and speak in front of an audience. And that was something that I've had to work, work very hard to overcome and to develop those skills. And it's something that I'm constantly working on and developing as I go, even though I now train people in public speaking, it's still something that I've realized is not something that you ever stop developing. You never stop growing in that area. And I know that's kind of a passion of yours with the public speaking and you teach other people to do that. So what was it about that specific area that you felt was so important? I think that part of it was not knowing as in my youth or even as an early teacher that you're supposed to feel afraid of public speaking, that that's natural and and really learning some techniques to help to overcome that and just the practice that you put into it. I, uh, I felt like it was something that if I had have learned that earlier in my career, even as a high school student, that could have transformed some other areas of my life. So I feel like that's a gift that I can give when I'm able to work with young people or educators to help them with that because it's made such an impact on my life and I want to give that back and help others as they're developing those skills as well. And I think you have an incredible pulse on the future of education as you train other people around the world. What is one of the largest barriers to the success of future leaders? Hmm. I, I would say that sometimes people expect it to happen overnight. They look at other people and they assume that it's some, because all they see is that success, that either they're looking at it from a just a nutshell point of view of that person's story, or they're looking at their journey on social media. I don't think they see the grit that it takes and that it's not something, I think that sometimes leadership positions are coveted positions, but it's a, it's a sacrifice. It's uh, the word passion means sacrifice. And I think that when we're passionate about our role as a leader, we have to be willing to sacrifice. There are nights where you're losing sleep, days where you're getting to work earlier, uh, that you're putting a lot of extra time and sometimes giving up things that you want to do. But it's, but that's something that I think anyone who wants to enter a leadership role, it's you're giving and you have to be someone who's ready to give and that you're, you're ready to do sacrifice for the people you lead. For those who do not hold a leadership position, what are some other ways our aspiring leaders can make an immediate impact? I think that anyone who's in education is is a leader. And in fact, I think that we all are a leader in some way. Someone is watching us. Someone is being influenced by what we do. And remembering that and looking at those leadership roles, even if it's not an official role, always seeing yourself as a leader and being that person that you that if you're looking to, to move into a leadership role, 
be that person now, whatever it is that you're doing now, go ahead and start behaving like that leader that you want to be, dress like that leader, speak like that leader, and, and act, act like that leader at all times. You know, even when you think people aren't watching because you never know, there's always someone who's observing what you're doing and seeing that potential that you have. And so when you're training other leaders or potential leaders, what are some characteristics that you believe that every leader should possess? I would say building relationships and earning the trust is one of the number one skills or skills that you can that you can develop. You've got to, you've really got to put in the time to develop those relationships and to earn the trust. I think, of course, communication still on the on the one to one basis and, uh, you know, in small groups, walking the walk is important. But I think that everything that we do, just being professional, being mindful, reminding yourself that you are a leader. I think even, even if you don't have time to read books, listening to audiobooks from great leaders, because that's going to remind you constantly of who it is that you're expected to be in those situations where, where it matters most. What is one area you want to change in educational leadership? I don't think we make enough room for risk-taking. There's in education, we're we're all used to this grading system of A to F, but it also moves into our personal lives where we play it safe. And a part, a part of that's because it's a government funded position. So we have a lot of accountability. But if we're going to prepare people for the future, we've got to be willing to take risks. And sometimes it means not getting things right. I had the opportunity this year to work with a school district and to, to try some new initiatives. And some of them were complete flop. One of them was to help with developing technology skills and creating this open lab concept and no one showed up. And I realized that I had forgotten what it's like to be in the classroom and how time consuming everything is. And that it's not that people don't want to sharpen the saw and learn these skills, but the time's not there. So I've, for, for next year, it's going to be a lunch and learn. So you're able, able to do two things at once. But when things don't work out, looking at ways how, don't just, throw that effort away, what can you do to look at it a little bit differently? Um, there's so much, much that's changing in the world around us. We can't wait until someone's proven that this is the answer. We've got to try new things, risk failure, and keep going and be okay with that failure and sometimes celebrate those failures as they happen. Uh, so so just thinking of like even Astro Teller and how he he encourages his people to celebrate failure. I think that we can learn a lot of lessons by looking at business and industry and how they're approaching approaching failure and this willingness to take take risks. And we we hear the concept of failure quite a bit and it's become almost a buzzword, but I don't think people spend enough time thinking about what that means, what it looks like and really allowing for it in education. Our evaluation systems are not set up in a way that allows for failure. When you think about the low-hanging fruit that we're sometimes encouraged to go to go for in our evaluation system, we need to instead, as leaders, encourage people to go for the high-hanging fruit because that's where the best fruit is. And it's okay, not penalize them if they don't get there, to celebrate the progress instead of having this completion point. So I want to talk about the grading system too and what your thoughts are with the A through F and with failure uh, being punished constantly and if there's a different system that you enjoy better. That's an area that I put a lot of thought into. 
I recently wrote a blog post on that. Instead of ditch that textbook, it was ditch that grade. But we have to rethink our grading system. Right now we have a grading system that is set up for students to work towards a certain grade, to have a rubric that outlines every step that they need to take to get there. And that's not the world that we're preparing them for. When it comes down to it, the world that we're preparing them for, they may not have a set of instructions. They're gonna be asked to innovate, to create. And that can't be based on a grading system. I think that we need to make more room in our current system so that people can have 20% time, the exploration piece, maker spaces, things that they're doing just for the sake of learning that's not attached to the grade. I think that we we have a lot of a lot of mental illness, a lot of stress that's attached to the pressure that we put because of grades, which is a system that doesn't work. I think that also having a more um, evaluative approach to where we're giving real feedback versus a grade helps. I think that also giving kids more of a say in looking at and measuring their own progress because that's real life too. We have to be able to measure our own progress and not just look at what a system says that we're doing right or, or, or doing poorly. And so I know another area of passion for you is technology. And so I wanted to know how do you increase the effective use of technology in the classrooms? I think that it's making sure that we're doing more than just having devices available, that we're actually providing training for educators. There are many times where we send the people who need the training the least to conferences and to summits. And we expect that that knowledge is going to trickle down to the teachers. The people who need it the most are never receiving those trainings. So I think that we have to make sure that teachers are being trained because a lot of them want to do better. They want to learn the technology and to be able to implement it, um, but, they, but they don't have that skill set. And in order for our students to, to really have that as part of their curriculum, we need to see educators who know how to present those assignments. Um, they don't have to be the experts at all the technology, but they need to be able to point them in the right direction for that technology. Every industry of the future is a technology industry. That's already here. We see how much technology has impacted every industry, whether it's with drones, whether it's apps, whether it's the way that ordering is done, robotics, artificial intelligence. And we need to make sure that our classroom reflects what we're preparing kids for, what the future of work is going to look like. So I think that too, as leaders, we have to be advocates for that and make sure that we are finding ways to, to put that in the budget and to make sure that we're um, being very mindful and thoughtful of our plans for technology integration. How do you think our leaders can encourage creative thinking and problem solving within their schools? You know, I think one of those is even modeling it within our professional development. If it's something that educators actually get a chance to do and to experience. I, I was working with a group of educators in Agua Fria, which is a school district in Arizona today. And they were talking about how some of their best professional development happens <laughs> when it's not professional development. It's either happy hour or their, their lunchtime or social time together. I'm like, you know, that's great. Educators want more. They want to do better. But sometimes we structure our PD time 
to where we're not allowing for that creativity to flow through because we're we're modeling practices that may not necessarily be the best practices in the classroom. So I think for for one, just really showing what that looks like in the PD, giving teachers an opportunity to create and to um, be creative and use different technology. I think that's a good starting point. And with that creativity with the staff, how do we implement that with our students and providing them an opportunity to have student voice? Well, first of all, our students are already creative. <laughs> sometimes we don't, we just don't give them the opportunity to show it. And sometimes kids are confused when we give them a project that doesn't have that's open ended, and and that's good. We have to retrain them to not have these closed ended assignments all of the time. The student voice piece, I think that's one that is so, so important to really teach kids how to use their voice appropriately, how to, how, to, how to speak up for themselves, how to advocate for themselves, but also to know, to be able to do it in a respectful way. With that, I think also providing opportunities for global collaboration, whether it's using mystery Skype so that they're connecting with another class somewhere else on the globe, uh, using Flipgrid. There's so many tools for our kids to stay connected and they're connecting on their own, but showing them what it looks like in a professional setting. And that's for any grade level. For kids who are in elementary school, middle school, high school, whatever the grade may be, to really learn about different cultures and how to communicate in an appropriate way. That's a professional skill that's going to stay with them for the rest of their life. And what is one initiative you've implemented maybe on your campus or maybe in a PD training with a district that you're extremely proud of? Uh, I would say that my the technology initiative that I've done with Westmec over the past two years, it's a it's a slow slow growth, but I'm seeing this sense of people starting to get it, not just our teachers, but even our admin and other other folks on our staff who are really seeing the benefit of the technology tools that are out there, even tools for organization using using Trello or Workboard or different tools to communicate so that you're not, you're not going back and forth with emails all the time, using Calendry to schedule appointments, just some things that really help us to be more efficient to manage our time better, which is really part of leadership too, because we're stretched so thin as leaders at any, at any level. Uh, so, so I think that's been something that's been been a really it's been fun to see the start to it and even look at the initiatives that are coming uh, for next year. Things like teaching people how to do webinars. I started web doing webinars this year and then realized that a lot of our teachers have never participated in one and that we need a PD on that. How to participate, how to start their own webinar and just showing them how easy that it is to be involved in webinars as part of their professional learning plan. And do you feel that's kind of one of the largest hurdles is just the fact that teachers don't even know what exists in regards to technology? Definitely. And this whole idea of, of not having the time to sharpen the saw or to learn what those tools are. It's always exciting to do a technology training and to see those aha moments where people realize that these are tools they could have been using all along that would have saved both them and their students a ton of time. I was in Wyoming last week doing an EdTech team summit. And one of the tools that I showed one of the groups was Google Scholar and how it can be one of your extensions and how easy it is to do your references, to, to find research that doesn't have, that you know it's not fake. And it, it was just cool to see that reaction of like, wow, I really, get how this is going to benefit my life and how I can implement this. And 
they're going going home and showing their own children how to use it, but also planning to use it with their students too. And so for our educational leaders, what would be a wonderful educational goal for campus? It really, you've got to know the needs of your campus. So I would say finding out where your campus is now and then moving from there. Because the last thing you want to do is do an educational goal and finding out that everyone's already doing this. <laughs> So it's and, and I think too looking at some of looking at some of the research on different educational initiatives that other people are doing, and maybe even doing a Google form, sending out a survey to see what it is that people most want or think that they need, because then that's going to give you the buy-in. You don't want your the people that you lead to feel as if this is one more thing that is being done to them, that's going to be time consuming because then you've already lost them. It's not going to be done with fidelity. So you've got to make sure that it's something that people want, that they're going to use, and that it is the right initiative. So as a leader, have you ever received criticism in your message? And if so, how did you work through that? Hmm. As leaders, we have to be open to feedback and to criticism. Sometimes there are things that we do that we, it's, it's a learning experience as a leader that we don't realize that this wasn't the best move and being open and honest about that. When I was at the Arizona Department of Education and I had taken over Ed Rising as the state director, one of the first things that I did was move the conference from this college setting to a resort because that's what the other CTSOs were doing and I didn't want the students to feel like they were missing out. And I realized later that I should have gotten the feedback of the teachers, of our of the advisors first before doing this, that it was something that I had not found out what their needs were. And now I know that before I do anything, I've got to make sure that I, I, that I get that buy-in. So you make mistakes and you've got to be willing to say that, wow, I could have done this differently, model that, and do things differently the next time. So in your organization, how did you grow future leaders? I think by, first of all, mentoring and providing them with opportunities, giving them leadership roles, but also not overburdening them with those leadership roles. It could be as simple as taking over an upcoming staff meeting and giving them an opportunity to share in a piece of it or even the whole thing, depending upon their comfort level. But starting small, but also also making sure that it's something that they want, uh, that you see that potential in them and giving them those opportunities. I think also investing in them. So if you have a teacher that comes to you and they want to present at a conference, the presentation has been accepted or they wanna serve on a board, but it's going to take a little bit of time away from school, give it to them. It's gonna be worth it in the long run. We give it to ourselves as leaders. We need to give it back to the people that we serve too and make them feel as if they are worthy of, of having someone invest in them to put those resources in them. It may mean sacrificing some conferences or some opportunities as a leader yourself, but in the long run, it is, it's so worth it to give people those opportunities. And I think too, trying to say yes as much as possible unless there's a no that's just a, this is gonna put someone at risk or this is going to affect our budget or we're gonna end up in the news for really in a bad way, <laughs> just go ahead and say yes. 
I, I, many times educators feel as if they're being micromanaged, that they're not being valued. And when you say yes to these ideas and work through them with them, sometimes it may be that they figure out on their own that it's not going to work. But any any time that you can give them that value and give them those opportunities, that's going to help build that sense of, of efficacy to where they feel like they are that leader and can develop into that leader. And that kind of reminds me of a, kind of the coaching mindset versus just trying to solve problems. So do you feel like that would instill trust within your organization? Oh, absolutely. And I think that approach is correct in that by just giving them the answers, sometimes they already know the answers. They just need you to show that you believe in them to come up with those answers yourself or themselves. And that it's not a matter of having to go to that individual in whatever role that they're at to ask questions. I also try to give as little instructions as possible. I have two new interns who just started a month ago. And one of them told me that he asks tons of questions because he wants to make sure that he gets everything just right. And I told him, I said, well, my leadership style is, is that I give you as little information as possible because I want to see what you're capable of. And don't ever feel like you have to worry about messing up or doing something wrong unless, I, unless for some reason I'm giving you very specific instructions. Know that I'm giving you the leeway to be creative. And they've already, both of them have already done better work than I could have ever asked of them because they have that freedom to do so. So for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? I would try not to go in with the mindset of changing everything all at once. First of all, you're going to offend someone. You're going to damage some relationships. It could be the person that you're replacing or someone that, that you may not have realized they're the one that started the initiative. So, so in that situation, ask some questions, find out where the initiatives came from in the first place, and take your time to really learn the organization, learn the systems, get to know the people, before you create the changes. And that way you can make sure that you're creating the correct changes that are in the best interest of the people that you serve. And also it could be that there's an initiative that has already been that has already been attempted and you can find out where it went wrong and how you can look at it a little bit differently to help solve those problems. But I think um, when you're first, first starting out, it's easy to want to be gung-ho and change everything. And that can create some problems for you as a leader. You have written a new book. And for those who haven't read The Martian in your classroom, will you provide a quick synopsis of the book for our aspiring leaders? Yeah. So The Martians in Your Classroom was a project that I collaborated with someone from NASA, Stephen Sanford. He was at the time the director of engineering. And we wrote this book in, a, in an attempt to look at education differently. The first person to step foot on Mars has already been born and could be a student in your classroom, a kid in your neighborhood, a child in your own home. And with that, the world that they're living in might as well be another planet already. They're growing up in a world that's so different than the world that I grew up in. And we've got to look at education differently to prepare them for the world they're living in now and the future that they're going to create, whether it's here on Earth, whether it's on another planet. And part of that means incorporating more STEM into our classes and blurring the lines between content areas. Science, when you think about the big problems of the world, most require STEM solutions, either uh, whether it's looking at a uh, solution to, to our navigation systems, to our uh, current traffic systems, finding a cure for cancer, uh, finding a way to land on Mars. 
All of these are problems that require STEM solutions. And right now we don't have enough people going into STEM areas. There's a huge shortage. So finding ways to really inspire that interest in STEM areas and letting it, making it visible. Many times we're doing STEM in multiple content areas, but it's hard to see it because we're not calling it STEM. And sometimes that's a good thing, um, but also, also making sure that kids know what their options are for careers of the future, even knowing that they're probably not gonna stay in that career for the rest of their life. According to the Bureau of Labor, students who graduated high school two years ago will have multiple, multiple jobs by the time they reach the age of 38. And that's something that I don't think that a lot of people are prepared for. We still ask kids what they're gonna do uh, with the rest of their life, what they're, going to, what they're going to do when they graduate, and they're probably going to do many things. So preparing them for this world that's going to be much different than, than the world that we're in right now. And would that correlate with the idea of soft skills too? Oh, yes. And I, when I say professional skills, I'm actually referring to soft skills because many of those skills aren't that soft. They're yes. just so necessary. So I think that that those, those professional skills, the soft skills, if you will, those are the skills that kids need that are the, the ability to uh, to interact with other people, to uh, adapt to the change that is so rapid the ability to innovate. Um, all of these are things that are going to help them to get ahead in a world that's drastically changing. So in addition to your consulting position, you speak at conferences, you blog, and obviously you wrote a book. So how did you find your voice beyond your classroom and then your current role? That's a big question. I think, <laughs> I think part of it is, is uh, that as opportunities come along, I'm very eager to jump in head, head first <laughs> and go for it. And that, that's opened some doors for me, but also I'm very passionate about what I do in education. So when I see something that's not working, I, I feel this need to, to do something about it, to make a difference. The Martians in your classroom was one of those uh, where it was just, you know, we've got to look at education differently. We've got to look at ways to be more disruptive in education. And there's ideas in that book for, for making those changes. So it's not just about going to Mars, even though it's referred to as the Martians in your classroom, it really is about making change. Uh, and, and then the speaking opportunities, I think are, are a result of that. When people see a different approach to, to how I look at technology or how I look at the future of work or to public speaking, I think that people are hungry for something that's a little bit different than how we've done things in the past. And that's something that people latch on to. They're, they're looking for, for something that's, that's more future ready. Mm -hmm. And for our aspiring leaders that are listening to this and say, yes, I want to be disruptive. What are some quick ways that they can be disruptive on a campus to change education? Asking questions, asking why we do things this way. I think that we sometimes disruptive is, is looked at as being a troublemaker. And I think that we can do a lot of disruption without, without creating any trouble, with still being likable, with, with still getting along with everyone when we're looking at it in the correct way. I think asking questions and sometimes asking, have you thought about doing this and presenting new ideas? And people may say no at first, and that's okay because you just got them thinking about it. And they may come back to you a couple months later and say, hey, remember that idea that you mentioned I think I want you to lead this initiative in that direction. And that's exciting when that happens. And then sometimes it's just continuing to spread those seeds 
and seeing what happens. I don't think that it has to be anything drastic. I think that connecting on Twitter and social media is a great way too, to create a community of people who are like-minded uh, so that you can create some of that disruption there and then replicate it and show how it worked in, a, in another school district. Disruption can even occur in how we look at our partnerships with business and industry. Some, doing something that people may have not thought of before, such as at West Meg, we have a teacher who is paid by Palo Verde, and which is an energy company, paid by them as a classroom teacher, and it's helping to grow their own to ensure that they have a future workforce. And I think that that's something that could be replicated and done in other places. So looking at some things that are different than what you normally expect in education and replicating it in your school as well. Do you believe in the future there's going to be more partnerships between schools and businesses? I think there has to be. I think that business and industry is seeing this gap and this need because the workplace is changing so quickly and they're they're looking for those opportunities. How can we partner with, especially with high schools, with the higher grade levels, how can we ensure that future workforce? But I think too, even as we see more and more research showing that what students are doing in the youngest grade levels impacts their interests and their skill levels in the older grade levels. You can't, you can't ignore that. So I think that we'll, we'll see more partnerships in that area as well. So in closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? Making an impact, making a difference, knowing that what you're doing is creating the change that is needed and that is going to move things forward. That if that if it's if it's going to be, it might as well be me. <laughs> so instead of just talking about it, knowing that you're doing something about it, because some, if, if you're sitting around talking about it, it just creates frustrated frustration. When you start doing, that's where that's where you get that fulfillment, and you know you're you know that you're making an impact, which is what we all went into education for, which is why we're in leadership positions is to make an impact. Mm-hmm. So how can our listeners connect with you on social media? My handle on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn is Rachel Edu, R A C H A E L E D U, and on Facebook it's Rachel Lynn Mann. And there's no Edu on that one, so Rachel Lynn Mann on Facebook. And then also feel free to connect with me on Wakelet. I put resources for all of my presentations on in Wakelet collections, and that's also at Rachel Edu. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast, and if you've gotten any value from the show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Rachel, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you, Joshua.